Trip Alpert, the team of Brass, from Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance. This is a weekly Monday appearance on the program. The managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest in this particular edition of Fangraphs Audio, as he does in every edition of the program. Dave Cameron endeavors here to analyze all baseball of particular note. And in roughly this order this week, Dave Cameron addresses the St. Louis Cardinals shortstop situation. Johnny Peralta appears likely to miss two or three months due to a hand injury. Who's the most likely bet to replace him? Will it be an in-house solution or a player from another team? And what does it mean in terms of wins for the St. Louis Cardinals? Moving on, one finds the Los Angeles Dodgers, who entered spring training with admirable starting pitcher depth, have less of that now after it's been announced that left-hander Brett Anderson will miss significant time due to a bulging disc. A bulging disc. What does this mean for Julio Urias? Pitching phenom Julio Urias. And why does Dave Cameron insist on discussing Julio Urias? We could also be discussing Jose De Leon or Jarrell Cotton. There's also the issue of the Kansas City Royals and their penchant for outperforming their base runs record. What is it that the crowd might know about the Royals' ability to do that that Dave Cameron and his own funny head don't know? Cameron addresses that too. There's also, uh, this episode does also feature a digression while discussing Brett Anderson's back pain. Cameron and I attempt to sort out which is more debilitating, back pain or dental pain. And Cameron begins a story but does not end it. Uh, as follows. Well, most people get like put out, right? Like they get the yeah. gas and they they wake up two hours later and they have no wisdom teeth. I opted for the discount value option. More lighthearted moments like that, and also that precise lighthearted moment to follow. But not before I mention the sponsor and provide the sponsor's message. The sponsor is Draft and the Draft app. Are you familiar with daily fantasy sports games? Not unlike FanDuel or DraftKings. That is exactly what Draft is. With this one notable distinction, it is the first such. Daily Fantasy Sports Game designed exclusively for mobile devices. Here's what you do. You download the app. You register in the draft universe. You challenge an opponent. This could be a friend or an internet stranger, anyone who's registered in the draft universe. You conduct a snake draft. Each select five players. Those players accrue fantasy points by means of their actions, either on the court or on the ice, as it were, whether you're playing NBA basketball right now or perhaps it's NHL professional hockey. The players accrue fantasy points. Whichever you or your opponent have accrued the most points, uh, you or he, she, or it are the winner. Are you the sort of person who's afflicted by the mundanity of life and require games of chance to prevent you from descending into darkness? Well, luckily, Draft also offers the opportunity to wager real American currency, provided you live in the right state. That's a great feature. And there are a number of other great features, but what we what have we haven't addressed is how to acquire Draft app. The Draft app. Here's what you do if you have the iOS operating system on your device. Go to the App Store. And if you have Android, an Android device, please go to Google Play or something like Google Play. With which remark, we have reached the conclusion of the sponsor's message. And we'll now move on to a conversation with managing editor Dave Cameron. What is it? It's Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? That same managing editor, Dave Cameron. And when does it begin? Right now. Peralta and his broken thumb. How do you break it? Mm, it seems like he tore a ligament, so Dang. maybe not broken, but injured. Yeah, sufficiently injured. Wounded, wounded thumb. Yeah, and they're gonna but, need uh, what? Uh, well, I assume 
Well, okay. So currently, I believe, what is Jed Jerko? Jed Jerko. Is the most likely candidate to fill that role? Yeah, basically by default. The Cardinals have uh, have a kind of a long history of this, of like having like no real backup shortstop in their organization. Right. Uh, why they feel they just don't need to have anyone? Because uh, a couple of years ago they were playing Pete Cosma in the World Series, like a lot of Pete uh, Cosma. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why it is like an organizational weakness for the Cardinals. They just think like if you have a shortstop, that's good enough. And if he ever gets hurt, oh well. Well, uh, uh sh- should be said they've had c- quite a measure of success. Sands backup shortstop. Yeah, right. It's worked for them, but it's uh, it, it's pretty easy to argue that they could have been even better with a real backup shortstop instead of uh, hamstringing themselves the way they have. Is that a is that a pun? Was that hamstringing? A pun? No, nice. I would have been like that would have been like maybe like thumbbing his nose. Oh right. yeah, thumbing yeah. thumbing their nose at uh, that convention. Yeah. Why? Here's a question though. So Jed Jerko, I think, because I, I believe at points, at least during his. Uh, prospecthood. There were questions about his capacity to play second base. Uh, yeah, he was he was a bat first second baseman. Right. Yeah. As well, it should be said, a lot of second basemen, are, I guess, are bats. Are, otherwise, they would have been. Well, I guess what? Then the next stop is left field, usually, right? Or third base. No, yeah. That's if they have a good arm but no range, sometimes they end up at third. Uh, <clears throat> why is why is it? Path, I think. Right. Why isn't Dean Anna a candidate here? I'm asking this. I guess somewhat naively, and I suppose there's also. I don't know Dean Anna, but there's a, there's definitely a bias because at least he's received excellent projections for like two or three years now. Yeah, I think uh, no one in baseball believes the projections when it comes to Dean Anna. Mm. Yeah, which is why he's been a minor league free agent and passed around on waivers for free, and and no one wants to give him a chance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think what well initially the Yankees picked him up in this sort of trade. I think they they had both. Everyone had been DFA'd. It was a trade of DFA'd players or something like that, and they ended up. Waved by the Yankees and then on the Pirates and then maybe yep. the Yankees again somehow. Yeah, I mean I think there's a lot of people in baseball who put a lot of stock into you know statistical projections and decision makers of the fact that like 30 teams or at least I don't know 29 teams on the Diamondbacks who have people running these kinds of calculations uh, and they're all like yeah we can't use Dean Anna. It probably means that they have some information that we don't have. Right, right. And the Cardinals, uh, the cor- of course, the Cardinals would probably be strongly amongst that group, isn't that right? Or they've done yeah. something where they're able to identify fringe talents who will right. produce. There, there's no organization in baseball that has been better at turning nothing into something. Yeah. And that organization still doesn't want to give Dean Anna <laughs> Well, they do employ him. Yeah, but I think they employ him as like a minor leaguer because they like him as a minor leaguer. I do, yeah. Everything points to. So, so what? Jorko is the most likely candidate. Where's Pete Cosmo? The Yankees now? Is that right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've actually not kept tabs on Pete Cosmo this winter. Mm-hmm. It was not my highest priority. Where's Brendan Ryan these days? Uh, he got released by the Cubs after he got traded in the Sterling Castro deal. All right. So he might actually be a free agent. He 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 appeared in a Cardinals uniform at one point, did he? Not? He did. He was actually pretty good for the Cardinals for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, very much a glove first sort, I guess. Yeah, um, but but then he got old. Right. Well, that, yeah, that, that happens to all of us, I guess, yes. unless we die in the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what's the answer? I think at least in our in our internal messaging service, Slack.com, am I allowed to say that? Sure. Okay. Uh, you said the words Eric Ibar. I did. Is I Jeff, said them in an Instagram post too, but you didn't read this. You read that. Probably. No, 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 no. Is Jeff is Jeff Sullivan going to mention Eric Ibar too when he writes a full post on this? Probably. All right. Where is Eric Ibar? Is he still an angel or is he somewhere no, else? No, he got traded for Andrelton Simmons. He's a brave. Oh, that's right. He, that's right. He ended Way up. Way to keep him on baseball, Carson. No, I, I figured he was part of that trade. 
<laughs> How many years does he have left? One. He's a free agent at the end of the year. Oh, that seems like it's going to work out. Maybe, except for the Braves don't have any other shortstops in their organization either. Uh, and I don't think that there's actually a lot of evidence that the Braves are trying to be as bad as possible this year. I mean, that could get back to our tanking talk that we've talked about a bunch of times. But, no, uh, you know, they have Nick Marquecas and Edna Nciarte and some other, like, valuable win-now pieces, or in Marquecas' case, not valuable win-now pieces, but guys who are going to be less valuable when the Braves are good again. Um, and they're not trading those guys either, or at least they haven't. Uh, so it's not a 100% chance that the Braves would want to just like give Ibar to the Cardinals out of the goodness of their heart. Uh, and Ibar is not so good that the Cardinals are going to want to give up like a real prospect for him, uh, especially because if Peralta's back in June, then Ibar loses his job and becomes a bench player. So, yeah. uh, you know, if the Braves had like a ready fill-in uh, player, then what maybe if they had, what if what if Dean Anna came over in the trade? <laughs> you know, I'm gonna suspect that the the Braves don't think highly of Dean Anna either. Okay, all right. Uh, you're suggesting that Ozzy Ozzy Albies is probably not ready to take not, over. Not quite ready. Him, yeah. him and Dan's V Swanson, I think that you could see Ibar as a summer trip. They might want to give one of those guys a shot in the second half of the year, maybe, uh, but probably not in April. God, he's a uh... That they have some, they do have some depth in the lower minors, and that's that's they a, do. Yeah, that's in impressive. a couple of years they'll have no use for Eric Ivar. Right. Luckily, this year yeah. they might say, you know what, we don't want to be running out a player who's not a major league caliber performer. Eric, Eric Ivar is a strange player. I think he's what he's always been. Has he been slightly above average with the glove, if not better than that? Yeah, sometimes it's varied, but uh, I think Ivar is looked at as like a good glove okay hit guy but he's actually more of like a, a decent across the board guy like he's not great at anything he's not a gold glove shortstop but he's good enough right he, he doesn't strike out never, a lot at all yeah he's a contact guy who right. you know doesn't draw a lot of walks and doesn't hit for a lot of power but he makes enough contact to make it work and he runs the bases pretty well and um so he's you know a very nifty role player you know average or maybe a little bit below at this point because of his because of age but you know not, certainly not a guy that you mind putting in the starting lineup if you're a contender so what does that mean for the Cardinals in terms of wins on the season, projected wins? I mean, it depends on how long Peralta's out. I mean, they say two to three months on first diagnosis, but the question is, like, two to three months in order to do what? If it's two to three months in order to get back on the field, well, he just lost all of spring training. Mm-hmm. And so he might need, like, an extended rehab assignment in order to get his timing up. And um, so I think, you know, I would say realistically the Cardinals should probably plan on having him back around the All-Star break, maybe a little Maybe a little before, maybe a little after, but somewhere around there. Uh, that's maybe more like three or four months, but that also includes getting, you know, getting him some, some live game at bats and not just assuming that the day his thumb is magically healed, he can just step right into the lineup. So maybe they get him back in June, but I would say plan on the all-star break. So the situations of what, uh, Stephen Drew and Kendris Morales yeah. from, from two years ago, I suppose. Yeah, and Royos Waltz and a few other pitchers have done this too and not not really succeeded. Right, that's what I was gonna ask. So so we have a I mean a, a pretty small sample of players who've missed I guess not in many of those cases, not only missed spring training entirely, but also taken off the first couple of months of the season and then more or less shown up. Um or shown up with, you know, sort of minimal time spent in the minors. And I yeah. guess, I have I mean there are obviously cases of guys who have been injured and done that. Yeah. What, what do we know what do we know about the effects? Is anyone been able to quantify the effects in terms of runs or wins of missing spring training? 
Not that I know of, and I, I think there is probably a difference between like sitting at home waiting for a job offer where you're not working out at someone's camp, and then you might you're probably exercising and stuff, but you're not necessarily uh you know on a rehab assignment where Peralta's gonna still have access to the team facility and uh you know be able to like go to a minor league games and swing the bat when he needs to, and um, so there's probably a difference between a guy who gets injured in spring training and a guy who's sitting at home unemployed. But I don't think anyone's said, like, here's how players who don't have jobs perform when they come in in midseason, and here's how injured players who missed the first half of the year uh, perform once they come back from their injuries. What, um, and what, do you think it hurts hitters or pitchers more? I would think hitters, because pitchers, a lot of times you're dealing with fatigue. So mm-hmm. if you miss the first half of the season or your workload is constrained, maybe you're fresher in the second half of the year. So my guess would be that hitters probably need spring training a little bit more than pitchers. Pitchers could work up to, uh, you know, kind of a full workload, uh, especially if you're not, if you're not unsigned and you can actually like go out on a minor league rehab assignment and make five or six starts in the minors and get yourself ready. That's probably just as effective as spring training for pitchers. At some level, that, that same idea with regard to pitchers and the question of fatigue or just use of the arm, that's in part uh, and or maybe on a grander scale, the the theory I think that some teams have employed right in drafting college closers and then yeah. converting them to starters. Yeah. But I'm trying to think of examples where that worked out very well. Um, I know that David Bush was a prominent example at one point. Yeah, uh, and that didn't work out so well. <laughs> didn't, I mean, I don't know. He had a career, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. I can't think of off the top of my head any college closers who became really good major league starting pitchers. I'm right. sure there are some, but. Yeah, not a thing I researched before the podcast started. No, you didn't. Uh, yeah, just offhand. Apropos. It wasn't the thing that I thought would come up. No, yeah, okay, very good. But uh, I, I learned with you that I should just expect the obscure. What? It, well, generally speaking, like, where do you think? Because, because I um, see in a recent piece, Tony Blangino, for, uh, former front office member of both Milwaukee Brewers and Seattle Mariners, and also a contributor to Fangraphs.com, uh, Tony Blangino discussed Lorenzo Cain's. I suppose you might call it his baseball age, right? Yeah. Because he basically didn't play even till high school. Does that right. sound right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and notably, he's continued to develop even in his late twenties into right. what is now like a pretty pretty great all around ball player. Right. Uh, where I think he still could hold his own uh, when he was first called up, but it was more like defense oriented type skills. Yeah, I think Tony's also made the same comments or similar comments about Michael Brantley, uh, who they also, I believe, selected in Milwaukee when he was there, and uh, and uh, another player who's developed better at a later ages than he would have expected based on his early career performance. I'm a big, and not that it matters to anyone, but I'm a big Michael Brantley fan. Are you? Yeah, I really like him as a player. He's going to miss the first couple of months, I guess, or something. Well, not necessarily. They're actually saying he might be back in April. Oh, all right. Yeah. Um, month. More, more news that you are not aware of. <laughs> I'm just happy that you know who Michael Brantley is since he's a major league player. Listen, if you want to talk about the recent developments in Corey Ray's performances at Louisville, I would be happy to do that. Uh, I think all the podcast listeners just hit the end button. <laughs> okay, well, enough. enough of this episode. That means that they've definitely at least listened to the sponsor's message, which is draft and the draft app. Right, and so maybe we, they, get, we get their ears for the ad. That's all we really care about. Yeah, maybe they've gone on, and maybe they're now performing multiple snake drafts with, <laughs> uh, with friends and internet strangers. Are they taking the boa constrictor number one overall? No, why would they? Do? Oh, oh, is a joke. Okay, yeah, yeah. What do you What do you think about? Uh, well, first of all, do you know of any research that has been done to that effect? Players who maybe were what two sport? Because Will Venable, I believe, was also a two sport athlete in, in college. And Jeff Samardzja. 
Jeff Samarja, right, exactly, yeah. right. What do we know? It, it seems as though we're bringing up at least some anecdotal cases yeah. that would point to later development being an actual thing among this, this sort of player. But what do we know? Uh, so I believe I've seen some research that suggests that players who play football, I don't know if it's been studied for multiple sports, but players who play football uh, do develop later, uh, the, like their aging curve has essentially shifted. Um, and I think Samarja was one of the primary points okay. of emphasis in that study. Uh, but I do wonder how much of it might be not necessarily that playing football is the cause. Obviously there's like a, you know, you're splitting your time. But how much of it is related to cold weather? Because I think we know that cold weather players also have different aging curves than warm weather players. Uh, Mike Trout being an interesting example. Yeah. Of a guy who didn't get to play as much baseball because it just rains all the time and it's hard to play baseball in that weather. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if cold weather areas also led to more football playing than baseball playing. Perhaps you would opt into playing the sport in which they don't stop when it rains. Right. Yeah. Or where it's like cold. It, it's harder to play baseball in the cold, I think, than football. Yes. Right. Uh, so I, I think that we don't know causation, but I think there has been some research that I've seen by who I don't know. Can I cite it? No. But I think I've seen some <laughs> that says uh, football players or pl- players who played football in high school or college do tend to have a shifted aging curve. Is it also possible that they, this sort of, because of the sort of physical uh, demands of football, uh, generally requires? I mean, I, I think that my guess is, with the exception of kickers, there is greater homogeny among the types of players that would play football and then move to baseball. You know, you have like yeah. these, like, you know, like you have like safeties or cornerback types who then go on to play center field. Uh, Marja was a, Samarja was a wide receiver, obviously. Right. Uh, and that's like, that's a sort of athleticism, right. which maybe would lend itself to continued development. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the other things we know about aging curves is good athletes peak later in their careers or they sustain their performance uh, to a later degree, and guys who are good athletes are probably more likely to play football. Uh, so we might have some selection bias where it's just guys who would have aged better anyway uh, also happen to fall in the football playing pool. Is it possible? Do we know if did Dean Anna play another sport? Uh, maybe chess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of his co- was like a bridge player. One of his co-curriculars. Are you good at? Do you know anything about bridge? I I actually played a lot of bridge growing up. It's like my family's favorite card game. Okay, all right. But I I don't understand. I couldn't play on like a like with the people who know how to like bid like five no trump and then like what the code means. I don't have any idea. Okay, all right. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna continue that. You line don't want to have this line of inquiry. Right? So you think that there is all bridge? Probably some. There's probably some legitimacy, some kernel of truth here in this idea about a player's baseball age versus his actual age. Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. We're not going to call Tony Blingino an idiot on the podcast. No, no, no. Just behind his back like normal. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that, Tony. Uh, let's see. Moving on, Dave Cameron, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, okay. They entered – they're a club. They're one of the 30 major league teams. Sure. And, and they entered the season with a plethora of starting pitchers. Yes. At least a plethora Cor- of potential. A cornucopia. A cornucopia, yeah, yeah. With with a potential starting pitchers, it should be yeah. said. Right. Mm, and I think what news out of camp is the Ryu may not be ready as soon as was previously expected. Well, I think they always knew he was going to be a little bit behind. He's coming off shoulder surgery, uh, but it's uh, they've slowed him down because he's had some soreness. So I think at this point his timetable is maybe unknown. Yeah. And then and then uh, of course a. a Another setback for the club, um, although perhaps not an entirely unexpected one, is the 
uh, is, uh, has occurred with Brett Anderson, who is what a bulging, some sort of disc bulging. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting thing. Like, Brett Anderson obviously has a long history of <laughs> getting injured, and so you know it's easy to make a joke like, "Oh, Brett Anderson got hurt. You should have seen that coming." Except for the fact that like Brett Anderson has basically had this a recurrence of a bulging disc, and I think they said like the the proportion of people who have the same problem twice is like 10% of the population because he already had surgery on this uh, in order to repair it. And having it repeat itself is not necessarily something that you think is common. So this isn't like, oh, Brett Anderson's arm hurts again. You know, like mm-hmm. the, the reasons that Brett Anderson has been unhealthy in the past um, isn't necessarily the same reason. I mean, he's had the bulging disc before, but that wasn't something that maybe should have been anticipated. So Is it the same disc then? Yeah, it's oh, the same one. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. does he just have a dud disc then? Do we he suppose? basically just has a bad back. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, having a bad back when you're trying to be an athlete is challenging. Yeah, and uh, certainly pitching, which is a uh, there's a lot of torque going on, a lot of bending, stretching. Yeah, it, it can't be, it can't feel good. Right. So no Brett Anderson for three to five months, which hey, is t- for most most of the season. Brief aside, to your mind, what is worse? What is worse to endure, back pain or dental pain? Probably back pain, because okay. the dental people give you drugs. Well, I'm but saying I've without had, the drugs, though. I'm saying yeah. I've had some pretty bad. Dental experiences. I actually like uh, when I was in high school. I had really lousy. Uh, I guess when I finished high school and I was working, I had really lousy um, dental insurance coverage. Yeah. So when I had to have my wisdom teeth removed, instead of getting <laughs> just on the street drugs, somewhere. Yeah. Well, most people get like put out, right? Like they get the yeah. gas and they they wake up two hours later and they have no wisdom teeth. I opted for the discount value option of <laughs> just being numbed. And uh, was awake for it as they ground my wisdom teeth down because they were impacted. And they had uh, given me the maximum amount of painkillers I was allowed. So when she said it didn't hurt, I was telling her it did hurt. And she didn't believe me. And I was in serious pain. Uh, and then I, like, you know, screamed like a baby. Yeah. And uh, then I walked out into the uh, waiting room when I was done. And there were, like, terrified five-year-olds <laughs> who'd been hearing this adult scream in the back who now never wanted to go to the dentist. Uh, so that was pretty terrible. And I would have taken back pain over that. Yeah, yeah. I, now, I've, I don't think I've ever had... Uh, back pain to the extent that I've had dental pain, but the dental pain I did have it was an impacted molar, and uh, I was it was like started on like a Sunday morning or something, so I couldn't get in to see whomever right away, and yeah. that was a bad that was an uncomfortable 24 hours, and it I feel as though because it's right in your head, yeah, it's right in your head, so it's really can we important. talk about how overpaid dentists are because they like doctors you know they make a lot of money, but they're you know you can always go to the doctor, there's always an ER or an urgent care or something like if there's like a medical emergency with you that is not related to your teeth. Then there's someone to take care of you. If you like hurt yourself in your mouth area, you gotta go between like one and two. Like they work like two hours a day, and they're like always on the golf course. And they still I don't. Make so, I don't support this co- this comment. That no, down with dentists. Making. Dentists are terrible. No, wait. If if could I have gone to the emergency room in that case? Do you think, or would they be I don't like? Think so. They'd be like, no, it's your tooth. Yeah, right. They would have been like, no, go to call it on uh, on the dentist and the dentist. I don't no. know. What right. Um. Well, uh, Brett Anderson's tooth does not hurt him. But so this leaves a, this leaves a case where uh just where the the Dodgers are now having to utilize some of their admirable depth. And of course, m- many of Andrew Friedman et al's uh off-season moves has been designed to augment that depth, not merely the pitching staff, of course, but also the, the their field players. Um, but before the season even begins, they're necessary to call upon it or they're required to call upon it. I guess Mike Bolsinger Bolsinger, yeah. Bolsinger. 
Hopefully are. Yeah, will be called upon at this point. But you wrote and asked questions about uh, what what this might mean for the timeline of Julio Urias. Urias, yeah. Urias, yeah. Yeah. And and so that's part of it. But I want to ask a question that the public is crying out as well, Dave Cameron. What of Jose De Leon? Yeah, I was actually asked in the comments because I didn't mention De Leon. And he, yeah, you didn't but, mention him. Yeah, I didn't because I basically wanted to use the injury to talk about Urias. It was an agenda piece essentially of like <laughs> I want to talk about Urias and how they might use him. Yeah. And here's an opportunity to do so. Yeah. Uh, but they do have other options besides Urias, and I wasn't trying to suggest like, oh, Brett Anderson got hurt now they need to rush their 19 year old. Uh, but De Leon I think uh, also has some workload issues. Uh, I think he threw 70 innings last year or something like that. Not a lot. Uh, maybe 80. I don't know. It wasn't a ton of innings. Yeah. Um, and so he's a little bit older than Urias and uh, probably would get a shot before him. But at the same time, you're not going to look at it and be like, okay, well, we, need, we now need you know 150 innings or whatever we're expecting from Brett Anderson. We're going to go get that from a guy who spent most of last year in AA and, and only made like 12 starts. Now here's another question. Uh, I believe Frankie Montas is also part of that organization. Is that true? Yeah, but he's also hurt. Now what happened to Frankie Montas? Did you write about this? He had some he's he's on yeah, he has some kind of non arm pain. Okay. What about Jarrell Cotton? Uh he's around, yeah. Yeah, he's good uh he's he's been good too. Made it to AAA yeah. last year as well. No, they've got a lot of young minor league pitchers who uh potentially could fi- fit into the mix, but you know, Urias is the most interesting of them. Right. And uh, but I believe last year there was in, in no uncertain terms, Andrew Friedman stated that Urias would not be promoted to the majors last year. He, they were yeah. certainly clear about that. Right. Despite this the year, I think that they would be surprised if he didn't get to the big leagues at some point. Okay. I mean, if he's going to start the year in AAA, uh, he would have to perform pretty poorly or get injured in order to not at least get like a September call-up or something. Right. He, it was not uh, all flowers and a piece of cake for him during his two appearances uh, at AAA. I threw like four innings. Right. Yeah, but I'm, that's that's, the, I was that, about to. That, like, the small sample size police are offended by like the the reference to four innings. Right. No. Well. Yeah. Sure. Thirty batters though, and he walked a fifth of them. So that's not great. Okay. Right. So he he had uh, he faced like basically one game's worth of players and had a bad game. Yeah, I had a bad game. I'm saying whatever he did, whatever. To the degree that he faced AAA batters, it went poorly. But it, could, yeah. it was an 18-year-old having Mike, just dominated. Mike Trout struck out four times in a game once, probably. I don't know if that's true, but it is, sounds like. Is that the true. equivalent? What is the equivalent of walking five, six batters in a game? Is it four strikeouts for a batter? Do you think? Yeah, I mean that's not something like that, right? Like, I mean, it's like a 100% failure rate if you're a hitter if you go up there four times and you strike out four times. Right. Whereas it normally would be what, like nineteen percent, twenty percent. Yeah, twenty percent. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. All right. So, so it was really you, you, you concede entirely that you simply had an agenda. Yes. Oh, okay. I wanted to talk about Julio Urias. Okay. And Brett Anderson allowed me to do so. But right, I mean the Dodgers have less rotation depth than they did now, and they have a nineteen-year-old who's considered like the best pitching prospect or the second best pitching prospect alive, uh, who's already succeeded in Double A. Um, and projects according to Zips and Steamer as just as good as Brett Anderson. So I think it's like an interesting question of like, if we believe the projections and Urias is their second or third best pitcher right now, uh, and they're kind of in like, let's try and win mode, how careful do they want to be with this guy? What do we know about players who, who, who do receive the call at, at that young age? And, and I suppose it's probably important to distinguish here between batters and pitchers. I think it, it at least it is important yeah. to distinguish between them. 
Yeah, no, I think it is. Uh, so I, there's a, basically competing schools of thoughts, right? Like if you're from the, essentially for the metaphor of the pitchers only have so many bullets in the gun mm-hmm. and you want to get as many of them, uh, at the big league level as you can, then there's no real point in holding Arias down for development reasons. You could say that there's reasons to hold him down for workload reasons because it's tougher to keep his workload in check at the big league level. But if you think like, you know, he's only going to throw 15,000 pitches before his arm explodes, why waste some of those in the minors if you could get value from the in the major league level from them? Um, even if, you know, potentially it could help his development a little bit, you're probably better off just firing as many of those bullets in the big leagues as you can. Other people do not subscribe to that school of thought and think that you can essentially extend the life of a pitcher based on how you handle them as young players. There's probably some truth to that, whether we have it figured out or the Dodgers have it figured out. I don't know. You know, so if someone threw zero pitches, right, until age 18, and then they and then they came out and they started a baseball game, right, their chances, but, you know, say they were, like, relatively athletic person, yeah. their chances of blowing out their arm in that one start would be pretty low, right? We don't know. Huh? We don't know. Really? We don't even I mean, know that? Uh, we don't really know much of anything. I mean, so how much of the minimal game-to-game risk of a pitcher breaking down without workload concerns is due to the fact that he has spent 10 years developing his arm and conditioning his arm to do that thing. Well, we have no idea. We just don't really have examples of guys who just, like, walk off the field one day or walk on the field one day and be like, I'm going to try pitching. Uh, you know, we have, like, position player conversions, but even those guys have been throwing forever. Uh, you know, I don't think we really know anything about, uh, very little, <laughs> and we being maybe like you and me, like there might be like neurophysicists or people who are, uh, specialty doctors who work in, uh, orthotics who might know something and be like, oh yeah, this is how the arm develops. But, uh, in terms of how it relates to the injury risk on a pitcher who has thrown very few pitches early in his life versus a pitcher who has thrown a lot of pitches and maybe built up stability, I don't I don't think we actually know that much. Well, right, so maybe the problem is there's a tension here. On the one hand, every time a pitcher uses his arm, some part of his arm is wearing out, yeah. right? Something's fraying, something's coming loose, there right. are ligaments loosening. Yeah. And on the other hand, every time he pitches, he's also building up some kind of strength, Right. So simultaneously, you have the arm deteriorating and becoming stronger, but just in different ways. Yeah, and we don't know necessarily the rate at which those two things happen, or if it's the same for every player. Yeah. Uh, There are certainly people out there who are working on kind of throwing programs and, uh, you know, different training exercises in order to build velocity, and I think we can see that some of those work uh, to some degree. I mean, we're seeing guys throw harder than ever 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 before, and I think it's probably due to some of the training that's going on right now. Um, So I think we can say with some confidence that there are things you can do in order to strengthen your arm in order to be able to throw harder. You know, can there are things you can do to strengthen your arm in order to last longer? That I don't know. I don't know either, Dave. Does that yeah, surprise we, you? This is, this is a conversation about things in which we're very ignorant. Yeah, all right. Well, I think sometimes you need to, uh, you know, create the boundaries of your knowledge. In this case, the, in this case, the, the area that is bounded is rather small. Yeah. Yeah. We've identified a lot of what we don't know. We have fenced in a two by two square of what we know, and it's basically that pitching is risky. Yeah, okay. Um, Last thing, uh, Dave Cameron, the the Kansas City Royals, you know them? Yeah, okay. I've written about them once or twice. Yeah, that's right. And you identified, you identified, uh, I guess, to somewhat objectively, a phenomena that the, the crowd identified perhaps accidentally. 
or at least uh, merely by relying on their own intuition. Or observation. Observation, yeah, yeah combo yeah. package. And that's that um, teams in the past. I, well, here's what you did. Well, here, why don't you tell us what you did? You took three-year rolling averages is what you did. Yeah, I basically looked at teams that had beaten their base runs uh, or basically just looked at every team relative to their base runs expectation and said, okay, let's break them up into deciles. And so basically buckets of 30, right? So like 30 teams in each bucket uh, and look at relative to their base runs, how they performed in a three-year span. Uh, and then you had the, the 30 teams who most outperformed and then the next 30, the next 30, and so on and so forth. And then looked at how they did in the fourth year. So if we've identified a team that for three years has consistently beaten their base runs by a significant margin, which the Royals fall into this category, they're plus 25 wins over the last three years, uh, how would we expect them to do or how have other teams done in the fourth year? And the results were actually pretty encouraging if you're a Royals fan. Right, in the sense that what they've won, they've won three more games in that fourth year. These sorts of teams. Three point two, yeah, and oh. the and the average of that top decile is only nineteen wins above base runs. The Royals are twenty five wins above base runs. So you could actually probably bump that up a little bit and say the Royals are even better than this peer group that we've put them in. Right, and it, notable, and as you point this out too, that the results are not symmetrical really at right. all. Yeah, uh, it's it's the, you have the the top the top decile and even the second decile. I think they're they're about a win over. Yeah. Plus one, yeah. Respected. And then uh, it's a mishmash just going back and forth after that, really. Yeah, I mean, to some degree. Like, I think that the top tiers, even outside of the top, the, the highest decile, uh, they still overperform a little bit by about a win overall. Mm-hmm. And the teams that underperformed for the three-year averages underperform a little bit by about a win. Uh, but the, the magnitude of the effect is much smaller. So it suggests that it's like for most teams – your performance, even over a three-year span, relative to base runs, is not a very strong predictor uh, of how you'll do in the fourth year. Except for if you're in this top 30 tier, or you know, it could be 20. Who knows? I mean, I just the buckets are picked not arbitrarily because deciles are. Um, I didn't I didn't cut them off myself, but um, you know, I think we don't know exactly what the number is. So it could be that we look at it and say, okay, if you're in the top 15, maybe it's actually four wins, and then these other 15 teams didn't add any information, but. Uh, there's some top tier that apparently, uh, based on this limited research of only 10 years of data, this is not a, a conclusive study that we should definitely say, let's uh, canonize this as, as the gospel. But it appears that there might be some teams who can figure out something about their roster construction that allows them to carry over a portion of what they uh, did for the last three years. Right. And it would seem it, the fact that the underperformers do not – underperform as much in their fourth year as the overperformers overperform in that in that fourth year. It would seem to suggest, right, well, I was sort of uh, cooking up. Um, it's pro- probably because those teams that are overperforming, those are teams that are good and which are being purposely held together. Right. Uh, and they likely possess – my guess would be that, that fourth edition of the team uh, has a number of the same pieces that editions one through three did. That's probably true. I would, uh, without confirming it, I would suspect that we see more turnover on the teams that underperform because if you underperform, you're more likely to make changes. Right. And if there is, and if that, if that trend is continuing, the underperforming trend, you're like, get these, get these guys out of here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think the the A's are a pretty decent example of this, right? Like last year, they underperformed by 11 wins and they got rid of all their relievers because their relievers were terrible in the clutch last year. So they got rid of, you know, basically everyone they handed the ball to in the late innings and they spent a lot of money on Ryan Madsen and John Axford and, uh, you know, they traded for, um, uh, 
the guy from Toronto, who they traded Jesse Shaw, Liam Hendricks. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, Liam. Right, so they basically have a whole new bullpen. So this year, it could be that uh, they're going to significantly improve based on their relative to base runs expected record, uh, but it might just be because they swapped out bullpen pieces. We don't actually know. We don't. There's a lot that we don't know. I think we're finding that out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the interesting things is, like, the longer I do this, I feel like uh, eventually we'll run out of things to write about, <laughs> and you're like, man, we don't know anything. <laughs> well, you can only cover – right. So you have a certain body of knowledge in which uh, any piece would be based, and then the rest of it is just a mystery. Yeah, I mean, I think we are so far away from solving this problem. Like, it's not that we don't know anything. We know a little bit more than – we knew a few years ago, and we knew uh, a lot more than they knew 50 years ago. Uh, but in terms of like solving this puzzle, uh, we're a long way away. Yeah. Well, I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think that's. <laughs> I don't think that the the puzzle being solved is a great danger at this moment. Yeah, certainly not by me. Nope. Yeah. So, what do you think about this Corey Ray? Uh, I think explain? nothing of him. Really? Because I don't know who he is. You don't care for college baseball? No. No. Do you care for it, like, to the degree that when you're watching, you're like, oh, that guy's going to be in the majors someday, maybe? I don't remember the last time I watched a college baseball game. Uh, Wait, you live where Wake Forest is, don't you? Yeah. Okay, I guess the last game, the last college game I attended in person would have been when I watched Andrew Miller and Daniel Bard pitch for Carolina when they came to Wake Forest. So that would have been 2006. It was a while ago. Yeah. So like a decade ago, I went to a college game. Both became relievers for the Red Sox. It's true. One of them was good and one of them was not. Well, I guess Daniel Bard was good for a very short period of time. It was really good for a short period of time. Yeah, and then, right. uh, and then what was asked to convert to starter? Uh, I think he wanted to. Hmm. I think that was a, his desire. Didn't go too well, did it? Did not go well. Yeah. And then it didn't go well when he went back. Yeah, it hasn't gone well since. Yeah, I don't know where he's, where he's spent the last. Did he, did he, he was with the Cubs system last year, I think. Oh yeah. And that didn't go well either. That's too bad. Yeah. No, right. Anytime you can throw 98 with movement, it's fun to watch. And, but now uh, every team has like seven guys who throw 98 with movement. So Daniel Bard is less special than he used to be. Was he, uh, was he a lot of fun to watch in, in college? No, he didn't have any command. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, uh, I was definitely on the Andrew Miller bandwagon. I think when he, that year coming out, I was comparing him to like Roy Halladay with like a left-handed Roy Halladay. Uh, like he was just amazing to watch. Uh, obviously I'm not a scout or anything, but, Watching him in person, it seemed like this is a guy who could be a fantastic major league pitcher. And then you watch Daniel Bard, and you're like, this guy throws hard. Yeah, that's one good part. Yeah, but he didn't he didn't look like a great pitcher then. No, he didn't. Hmm. Daniel Bard, uh, well, he didn't throw anywhere last year, at least not anywhere in affiliated ball. I think he was with the Cubs, but he probably never made it out of extended right. spring. Might have been hanging out somewhere. Yeah, yeah probably in uh, Mesa. All right. Well, if you do get a chance to watch Corey, <coughs> Corey Ray. Also, you live near, um, uh, there's a picture of Robert Tyler for Georgia who's been excellent so far this year. Mm. Uh, Georgia is like a six hour drive. Yeah, no, but what if they come up to, what is, what is Wake Forest? Is that the ACC? Yeah, the ACC. Wake Forest is like terrible baseball. Yeah, but they, as you noted, uh, good teams come to visit them. Yeah, but it's really fun to watch like a really good player beat up on a terrible team. Well, you could see, this is my point, Louisville has an excellent team this year. Like their first four or five batters are all probably draft-worthy, some of them in the first round, certainly Corey Ray in the first round. And then they have three uh, considerably above-average pitchers. One of them is Kyle Funkhauser. Oh, isn't he, like, really struggling? Uh, he had a 
uh, tough start two starts ago. But he, no, he's, I mean, he was selected 36th overall in the most recent draft, I think, and he, he opted to come back is how he feels about his chances. Yeah, I thought, I thought I saw some tweet maybe from Keith Law or something that said like he passed up first round money and, and his recent performance makes it very unlikely he's gonna be, get first round money again. Nah, perhaps, yeah. His second to last start was, uh, wasn't, was unpleasant to watch. I think he had five, six walks. But his most okay. recent one, uh, was a lot more efficient. Okay. Yeah. That's so what I have to tell you. This about is it. what I know about college baseball. Yeah. Just the, like the rest of the podcast, I know nothing. And Corey Ray is a real, is a real pleasure. He does everything. And now he's making a lot more contact even. Does he also much. pitch? No. So he doesn't do everything. Well, he doesn't do everything. Maybe he pitches. I don't know what his arm strengths. Uh, he'd probably do a better job than me, but yeah. that's... Right. Maybe he knows things. Maybe you should have him on instead of me next week. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Call Louisville. See if he wants to analyze all baseball. Who? Corey Ray? Yeah. All right. I'll go ahead and get it. I'll find Corey Ray. Okay. I think you're done, though, Dave Cameron. You've... I've, I've analyzed all my ignorance. you fulfilled... Yeah, we really got to the edges of, uh, of your knowledge base. Let's no. say... Uh, let's. <laughs> Let's say that that you've uh, fulfilled your obligation. All right, I'll stop talking now. All right, well, I will, l- allow me to say thank you, Dave Cameron. You're welcome. On behalf of the uh, not just of myself, but also the listeners. You're welcome, listeners. That has been uh, managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>